Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. The Gnostics believed that they had access to the truth, the real truth, not the truth that everyone else thinks is the truth. Everyone who's not a Gnostic, that is. While there are certain themes that tend to unite Gnostic groups, they were actually quite distinct and widespread across the Christian world in the time of the Church Fathers. Christian Gnostics, who will be our focus, although Hermeticists are also sometimes classified as pagan Gnostics, Christian Gnostics tended to believe that the Old Testament god or Yahweh was actually a demigod, and that the true god was unknowable, existing in an unimaginable realm somewhere in the cosmological beyond. They tended to believe that humans possessed some grain or seed of the Godhead within them, and they often underwent elaborate astrologically-themed initiations to join their orders. While their particular theology was ultimately defeated and buried by the Catholic Christians, their beliefs informed Christian doctrine. Arguably, the canonical Gospel of John was, in fact, a Gnostic text, and a Gnostic bishop very nearly became the Pope in Rome. But Gnostics were considered heretics, and the men who defined early Christian doctrine wrote bitter attacks against them. Ironically, these attacks became a significant source for contemporary scholars' knowledge of the ancient Gnostics' beliefs and practices. Be careful how detailed you are in arguing against your enemies. You may just be preserving their ideas across the ages. Uh, to teach us more about these things, I am your host, Dr. Robert C. Thompson, your Supreme Hierophant, and I am joined this day by our Gnostic expert, Olivia Litterall, Grand Master of the Order. I'm back. Back in Gnosticary than ever. Yeah, and I just found out what we were talking about literally like five minutes ago. That's so. all right. You just come fully prepared with all Gnostic knowledge in your head. Reptilians and all just kicking around in there. It's so funny because I literally had to talk about that. Like I was explaining reptilians today because I had to explain blood libels, which oh, made Lord. me had to. I went down a whole thing with my coworker who just wants to be a rancher. It's a whole thing. How, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, just walk me through that a little bit. So the, your coworker's like, I want to farm cattle, but I'm concerned about reptilians. Well, no, no, no. So the whole conversation started because she said that she wants to become a rancher now, uh -huh. and then that somehow I can't remember how it evolved into. It was a slow day. <laughs> It's a slow day, and when you're juicing and it's slow, you just stand around and you talk a lot. Literally, about juice. Life. Olivia's not like in the gym or anything. She's not oh. mainlining any uh, steroids. Yeah. I, I mean, it might help me juice to juice. Could juice the juice. Juice and juice. But <laughs> nope. Savannah Varetta's here. I'm Sister here. of the 84th degree. Yep. Also, know nothing about Gnosticism. That's oh, well, okay. not also. Now, Olivia I know knows things. It. Yeah, you know nothing. That's uh, the, the, you're, I don't you're know. the counterpoint to I each know other. Nothing. Nothing at all. It's been a hot second. Neil Sigmund is going to be doing the voices for us. You've been getting used to Neil's voice, hey Neil? Hello. Going to be doing them Gnostic gospels today. Happy Gnostic holiday to you Happy and all Gnostic your family. Happy Gnostic Christmas. <laughs> Happy Gnostic <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> I don't know what what would that look like. And a Gnostic <laughs> New Year to you. Just like truth stuffed in your stocking. Santa and it's truth. just like a fortune cookie, but it's like just says like And it I tastes don't know. like salt. The yeah. cookie itself. <laughs> the, the the note in the stocking says that color does not look good on you. Yeah. Delivered by a man who comes up through the ground somehow, not down through the chimney. Very reasonable. <laughs> yes. Dressed all in black. Like Hades. Yeah, like Hades. <laughs> That's true. 
Let's so we were talking about Hades earlier. Let's <laughs> we what a little jumped in. A, he came out of the ground through a portal. What a lonely little geek. Uh, we, the members, members of, of the, the secret, secret order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest, honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. Like riding a bicycle. A large collection of Gnostic Gospels were rediscovered in December 1945 in Upper Egypt and have since been named for the town in which they were recovered, the Nag Hammadi texts. That farmer was like, what the fuck? Right? What a day for him. We're talking about Muhammad Ali al-Saman. He had been digging for fertilizer with his brother when he hid an earthenware jar. Al-Saman discovered 13 books bound in papyrus in the jar and brought them back to his mother, who used some of the papyrus, Olivia, remember this, in her kitchen fire. (laughs) You don't remember that? I feel like you were the first one to tell me about this woman. Um, Al-Saman was engaged in a blood feud, and speaking of blood, and had just murdered the man responsible for murdering his father. That happens sometimes. Uh, Fearing the authorities would come to his house and confiscate the books, he gave them to a local priest who checked on their value and the books eventually found their way to the black market this is sort of this is an amazing story that the yeah. books got anywhere near us as scholars that's insane there they were discovered by the government and uh, 10 of the books were brought to the coptic museum in cairo the others ended up in america and the community of scholars soon began translating and analyzing them the papyrus on which the texts were written dated to about 350 ce but the texts themselves could have been as old as 50 ce having been copied and transcribed since then onto papyrus like the pages unearthed by al saman no one can be sure who preserved the texts, which most certainly would have been destroyed by Catholic censors. Their preserver may have been a monk at a monastery near Nag Hammadi who buried them away in order to preserve them. So far, so good. This is just some basic digging history. History of digging. It. It's pretty fascinating. <laughs> you, you like a good dig. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I remember trying to dig a hole in the backyard and our um, neighbor's dad getting mad at us because we had like a five foot hole in the Oh, backyard. that's a good it hole. It was a big that's like a great we, like, you, we like, snuck a shovel out there like we were like we're gonna get to China we were oh, very okay. excited that's what I was gonna no, ask yeah. like what was the goal were you yeah. looking for something or trying to go somewhere no we were trying to go to China mm. and we wanted to see how deep we could do it and we did it behind the playground and then the dad came out and was like what are you guys doing and then he was like what the but no earthenware jars. So no archaeology. No, you didn't discover okay. anything. No I mean, secret texts. I was super in the dinosaurs. Still am. So, oh, like, so you were it hoping to find a bone. to find some bones. Mm, yeah. But he was also a dinosaur kid. Yeah, and like my daughter. Like a dinosaur kid. <laughs> The scholar Elaine Pagels makes a convincing case that the reason the Gnostic texts were all but completely erased from the face of the earth was that the Gnostics challenged the core principles undergirding Christian social and political life. The Gospel of Mary, one of the few Gnostic texts to predate the Nag Hammadi discovery, uh, involves Mary Magdalene claiming to have had visions of Christ. Let's hear a little bit of that. Lord, I saw you in a vision today. You are blessed because you didn't waver at the sight of me. For where the mind is, there is the treasure. Lord, now does the one who sees the vision see it in the soul or in the spirit? They don't see in the soul or in the spirit, but in the mind, which exists between the two. Of course, duh. The Gospel of Mary argues that Jesus... (laughs) Sorry, Mary. Um, (laughs) Give birth to Jesus? No, not that Mary. This is the other Mary. Mary Mary Magdalene was the prostitute. Oh! 
Oh, arguably oh, I the only that. female disciple. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I do actually know that. I saw that play by Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> <laughs> Everything Savannah knows. She's learned in a musical. <laughs> I mean, Book of Mormon. Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Hades Town. <laughs> the Gospel of Mary argues that Jesus bestowed secret truth on believers in the form of visions. Two ideas that have an important place in mainstream Christianity. First, the idea that Jesus had secrets is suggested by his regular use of parables when communicating spiritual truths. A parable intimates that there is a hidden meaning. He didn't just come out and say, do this, do that. Mm -hmm. Right? It's all these parables. The notion that Jesus could bestow secret revelations through visions also informed Catholic Christianity via Paul, but Paul negotiated with Jesus' disciples, who knew and spoke with the actual historical Jesus and formulated his doctrine that way. Still, Paul set up a precedent for personal revelation that would become a hallmark of Gnostic thought and a dangerous challenge to clerical authority within the relatively young Christian church. If you can have your own visions, who's stopping anybody from having a vision? Paul started it, right? The Gnostics considered personal religious creativity to be a mark of spiritual maturity. Spiritual knowledge was continually unfolding, giving revelation a progressive quality. The disciples were not an original source for a perfected knowledge. Rather, Christ, or an otherwise enlightened source, continued to reveal to the Gnostics still deeper and more secret aspects of the truth. Some Gnostics believe that Jesus never physically resurrected after his crucifixion, but rather returned to his disciples as he had appeared to Mary in the form of visions and dreams, further reducing the significance of the apostles who witnessed his resurrection. This displaced both the Catholic authorities and their historical origin. Peter was the first bishop of Rome, or the first pope, and every subsequent pope derives his authority from Jesus' promise to Peter. But if Peter is nobody special in terms of spiritual knowledge and didn't witness a physical resurrection because there was no such thing, or is not Christ's representative on earth since Christ continues to speak to pretty much anybody who has a vision, then what use is the pope to the believer? Ooh. Yeah. That's dangerous yeah. talk. Dang <laughs> Heretic. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's going to get the Pope to come kill you. Oh, no. He seems pretty frail right now, so I'm not too worried. All right, well, his spotty guards. Oh, yeah, those guys I'm worried about. They got the red outfits, right, and the pointy sticks that they carry around. Oh, I, I don't so, even cardinals? know. Cardinals? No. no. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I was like, All the cardinals and their spears. There is a people guard, isn't what there? Are they have uniforms and they 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 have the spirit. I'm sure they have people know. in like black suits with guns and stuff too. No, no, no. Behind <laughs> them or in front. Not the Catholics. Hiding, the... hiding in the crowd. People with red with spears. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking about the extraterrestrials. Many Gnostics tended to prefer disciples who fell outside the Twelve, like Mary Magdalene and Paul, and their personal revelations left little need for the intercessions of a priest, let alone a bishop or a pope. Gnostics not only disputed important details of the resurrection, but also Christ's death. Christ, being filled with divine power, could not experience suffering and death, said the Gnostics. In the Acts of John, the author experiences a vision of Jesus who tells him that he suffered none of the things chroniclers and gospels said, and calls the suffering he showed in his passion a dance and a mystery. Since he was the Son of God, his divine spirit could not die, and this allowed Christ to transcend death. Gnostics often dismissed Christian martyrs as wasteful of human life, arguing that Christ died so that his followers might not be killed. That's 
that them's fighting words too yeah uh, yeah calling a martyr dumb <laughs> it's like not a dumb yeah you're dumb yeah. also so they're they're suggesting that jesus was crucified it just didn't hurt and he was acting like it hurt because he was god yeah, no, I mean, but I'm just like, clarifying. Yeah, That's what it, yeah, it was just a dance. Olivia sees the logic <laughs> of it. Up there dance. I mean, no, right? I do. No, I think He was there demonstrating is. suffering, but not actually suffering. That's how, that feels condescending. He was acting. <laughs> he was acting, Savannah. It feels condescending Back to, to me. <laughs> He's great at empathy, so like. That's true. Why wouldn't he be a good actor? There you go. <laughs> For some Gnostics, crucifixion was not necessary for humanity's redemption, but rather a method for discovering one's own inner divinity. Physical suffering was secondary to Gnostic enlightenment, for only the human experiences death and suffering, and only the spirit can experience truth. So all this Christian focus on suffering and martyrdom and all this business... He enlightened them. He showed them a way. And the way is the truth, which he taught them. And as a result, error was angry. It pursued him. It was threatened by him and brought to nothing. They nailed Jesus to a tree, and he became the fruit of the Father's knowledge. However, the fruit didn't cause destruction when it was eaten, but those who ate it were given the joy in discovery. He discovered them in himself, and they discovered him in themselves. Whereas Orthodox Catholics often trumpeted and even encouraged martyrdom, Gnostics tended to be more ambivalent and circumspect on its meaning and value. So yet another big Christian idea. We got the Pope now, has eaten it, and now martyrdom. Fallen at the hands of the Gnostics. Or at least in Gnostic ideology. Orthodox Christianity was too simple for the Gnostic mindset. Joining a community for worship and participating in physical rituals like baptism simply wasn't enough to suggest that the believer possessed actual spiritual understanding. There had to be a second baptism through knowledge and enlightenment. Gnostics believed that it was ignorance rather than sin that was the true cause of human suffering and self-knowledge, <clears throat> and self-knowledge was the path to freedom. The arrival of the kingdom of God was not necessarily an apocalyptic external event, but rather the creation or discovery of a paradise within. This is not to suggest that Gnostics expected to come to full knowledge of the originating God through self-exploration. For many, God was completely unknowable, but that did not mean that they could not move beyond illusion and error to better understand the truth of their place in the cosmos. You got me? I really like that idea of God being completely unknowable. Boy, it gets us out of a lot of trouble, yeah. <laughs> a lot yeah. of trouble? Well, when we think we know God is when we start to get into trouble. Oh, yeah, that's true. we think we know what God wants. Yeah. Yeah, but it balances out a little bit because the whole, like, that there's, like, a spark of, I can't think of exactly the phrase, it's, like, spark of whatever of God in everyone. Mm -hmm. They still believe that. Yeah. So it's like, and you can know yourself to so some extent. It balances out to me. I don't know. Yeah. No, I like that idea too, honestly. Yeah. I mean, because it makes sense where it's like, I don't know. Well, if God creates the universe, like he's got to be, a part, well, they have to be a part of it somehow, right? Yeah. Everything that's in it. So you mean, Olivia, that God's not like absent. Even though God is unknowable, God is still present because God is inside of us. Yeah. It's like a... It, I think it's part of like them being able to have access to that like truth is that the key to that is the fact that there is a spark of I, it's spark of God something spark of light spark of, I can't think it of what depends on who you talk is. to right the Gnostics phrase it different ways but you're yeah that's yeah. exactly true mm -hmm. but I don't know I always thought that was very poetic that's kind of why I have my my star 
here. You Gnostic star. Not necessarily because I'm like, you know, but I just always thought that was an interesting thought that, because you don't really like, with, with Christianity, it's not like, you don't really think about it in terms of like, God, there's a piece of like, God is a little bit in all of us. Like, that's not really. They don't harp on it. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The soul is not regarded necessarily that way. No, not at all. I would say. For the Gnostics, there was a significant feminine aspect to the divine as well. Here you go. Here's some feminism for you. Not to mention a pantheon of higher entities tending up to God the Father. Ancient feminism, right? Ancient feminism. Well, I mean, yeah, because these are our ancient mystery cults. And the Gnostics, these guys are like the year 300. Based. Ooh. Based. <laughs> Thank you, voice actor. Who <laughs> <laughs> left and just came back out of nowhere. Based. Uh, the patriarchal Yahweh may have put Adam in the garden, but the Gnostics view Yahweh as a demigod who lacks a full understanding of metaphysics, particularly as it relates to higher deities that preceded Yahweh. Adam was the first man, but Sophia, the feminine spirit of wisdom, sends Zoe, or Eve, to instruct him. Eve is alternately described as Adam's enlightened spirit, who evil angels take out of him, but offers immortality to him when she is unified again with him. The hypostasis, hypostasis of the archons. There's your word, Olivia. Archons. I really love how you're trying to simplify this as much as humanly possible yes, right now. Yeah, yeah. Like, Because <laughs> I'm trying to do like... I am going to do the an individual Gnostic groups, but I'm trying yeah. to do like if they were. But even all just one. the concept of like Sophia or whatever. What's oh it? God, her? yeah, we could spend the days. whole thing of trying to wrap your head around like what the fuck they mean by that, and the whole like oh my god, yeah. You've done a bit of that on the show. So. I tried. <laughs> People and really want it. Really to hurt a lot, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> The hypostasis of the Archons describes the serpent as Adam's female instructor on matters of higher knowledge, Sophia. Among the Gnostics, women were allowed to... So let, So how does this practically bear out, right? If they have this notion of Sophia, of a feminine divine. And you said that Sophia was the snake? Can be. Can be, again, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> what? Okay, never mind. Let's because keep going. Because the snake ain't bad. This is the Gnostic land. Oh, in the Gnostics, the snake... The snake ain't bad. Snake ain't bad. He did say like. The snake ain't bad. The snake ain't bad. Because you got to take the whole Genesis story and turn it on its head if you're in a Gnostic universe. Okay. It no longer is what you've always been told it was. Oh, okay. And, well, you're going to get to the whole Eve, what Eve goes through, I'm sure. If I don't, you can throw it in. I mean. So... What I want to say is that because of these things, because the feminine divine is acknowledged by the Gnostics, women among the Gnostics were allowed to assume positions of authority. Cool. They still can't in the Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So this scandalized the Orthodox Church. Mm. Right? Because it's 2023. <gasps> Woman! <laughs> oh, God! Is still how the Pope in Rome feels to some extent. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Women served as... He's really coming for me. Women served as <laughs> prophets today. Women served as prophets, teachers, evangelists, healers, priests, and possibly bishops. You're goddamn right. Early Christians had allowed men and women to sit together to worship, but over time adopted the traditional Jewish practice of segregating the congregation by gender, the Christians, that is. The empowerment of women in the Gnostic church circles may have inspired Catholic commentator Irenaeus to accuse the Gnostics of breaking rules then around sexual abstinence and monogamy because women were intermingling in a Gnostic church because women were in positions of authority 
the natural orthodox accusation is you're having sex with all those women. Of course. Boo hoo. Not the women. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone but the women. (laughs) You should just be having sex with each other, all the men. Well, no. Some popes. Anyway, Mm -hmm. Valentinus. (laughs) Can't do that today. Valentinus who led his own Gnostic order, named Silence as the female, Silence with a capital S, was the female counterpart to God the Father. From her womb, she brought forth, so here, I'll get into a little of this stuff, Olivia. From her womb, she brought forth all of the divine beings in partnerships of male and female. Wisdom in Valentinus's world, often called Sophia, is also labeled the mother of creation from whom all beings emanate. While Sophia is sometimes blamed for the creation of the demiurge, Yahweh, she is also credited with endowing humanity with its divine spark, getting back to Olivia's point there, and gifting us with knowledge. Yahweh, in fact, may have only created this universe because wisdom or Sophia had endowed him with her own ideas, and she left him when she discovered he was creating inferior beings. As the scholar Pagels argues, this presents yet another Gnostic challenge to the Catholic Church hierarchy. The Pope, and by extension the secular monarchs of the Western world, derive authority from the one God, Yahweh. By placing true understanding and power deeper in the spiritual cosmos and beyond Yahweh, the Gnostics supplant the Catholic source of authority. Among Gnostics, there often was no hierarchy, at least in theory. Pneumatic Gnostics, led by Marcus, believed everyone who had passed through initiation could receive inspiration from the Holy Spirit, and so they drew lots to determine who would function as priest or prophet, add a service, and change roles for each meeting. Oh, so we would just pass fine. out straws. <laughs> Be like, okay, who's, who's who do I get to today? Be today? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. I got Pope. Oh, I got janitor. Yeah, <laughs> that does sound very us. Yeah, we would do that. As a group, we would totally yeah. do that. God, it's also like leaving it in um, God's hands, right? It is. It's up to God. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is it your, I, that was the next thing oh, I was going to say. I'm yeah. so... You could be a Gnostic. Oh, shit. God <laughs> chose the lots as to who would fulfill each function each day. Yeah. It's very I Ching, right? It's up to the gods. I like it. <laughs> this is not to suggest that the Gnostics always chose to worship separately from the Orthodox Catholics. In fact, one of the leading Gnostics, Valentinus, who we already mentioned, believed that Catholics and Gnostics could coexist. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I feel like the Gnostics believe that. I don't no- think the yes. ca- Catholics believe that. Yeah, okay, yes. <laughs> Some followers of Valentinus believe that Gnostics and Orthodox belong to the same organization, except that the Gnostics had achieved knowledge, whereas <gasps> the mainstream believers had not. Burn! <gasps> oh, my God! <laughs> you said, oh. we feel bad for those normal folk. They all belonged to the same church, but at different levels. Valentinus lived during the second century and was brought up on the coast of Egypt and in Alexandria. Valentinus may have been the student of the otherwise unknown Theotis, who was in turn a student of Paul. Through Theotis, Valentinus was said to have learned the apostles' secret teachings. Tertullian said that Valentinus turned to heresy after he wasn't selected as Bishop of Rome. Epiphanius said he became a Gnostic after a shipwreck in Cyprus drove him insane. It's unlikely that either report is true, but Valentinus was apparently well regarded as a learned Christian, and his openness to Catholics, who he regarded as true but inferior Christians, (laughs) made him a potential candidate for the papacy, believe it or not. 
The Valentinians valued silence after their concept of the mother goddess and defined existence in terms of three dimensions, matter or the negative emotions of Sophia separated from the father, psyche or Sophia's repentance and spirit or her love for God and Jesus, all defined in terms of Sophia. Sophia's love, Sophia's psyche, Sophia's uh, matter, negative emotions. Valentinus was succeeded by Marcus the Magician, perhaps the most... Marcus the Magician. Yeah, he's cooler than he sounds. Wow. <laughs> so he was, I don't believe you. He was the most prominent... Val- so he was always pulling shit out of his hat. But other than that, and stuff out of your ears. But other than that, he was a serious theologian. What's that behind your ear? Perhaps the most prominent Valentinian was Marcus the Magician, apart from Valentinus himself. Marcus preached on the coast of what is modern-day Turkey and settled in the Rhone Valley in Italy. He claimed that silence, with a capital S, materialized before him as a beautiful female angel. She came into being by speaking the 30 letters, which became the 30 divinities who occupy the Pleroma and can speak only the sound of their own letter. So they don't say too much. What the <laughs> so, so he spoke so the 30 letters materialized the 30 beings who can only f- speak their own letter it's like the alphabet is suddenly a group of angels around you going ah and buh and okay. I'd be pissed <laughs> it's, it's a lot to take in Silence introduced Marcus to another female angel, Truth with a capital T who sought to convey to him the truth about the originating God Much of Marcus's teaching revolves around numerology and the sacred aspects of letters. Going back to that alphabet, chanting at him. Dude's such a nerd. Different, (laughs) such a magician. (laughs) Nerd. Different combinations of letters are used to invoke different divine beings to heal and receive this worldly benefits. The vowel sounds, for example, were used to bring Yahweh's inharmonious universe into harmony. Ah. At his services, Marcus distributed wine in cups, one of which was prepared in advance to turn blood red at the contact of the wine. So there is a little bit of magic in there. I just want there. to bully him so hard. <laughs> He's I don't, so much showmanship into it. I really don't believe in bullying like so hard, but I just want to bully the shit out of him. Poor Aww, Marcus. Yeah, poor Marcus. No, I, I, what a nerd. Uh, so anyway, it turns blood red uh, with a substance that would induce ecstatic trance, by the way, as well, Savannah. So not oh. only is it a magic trick, but it's also a so hallucinogen. He's them? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, that's oh, no, not a back dick with him now. and a nerd. Yeah, <laughs> that's not. Oh, y'all think, oh, we can't now, bully yeah, Marcus. Now I'm on board from bullying Marcus. Much like, you were okay when Grace Slick was doing it to Richard Nixon. Much like the drawing. Huh? Oh, oh. <laughs> that's a little bit different. All right, don't you bring Nixon into yeah, this. Nixon is not an innocent. That's an outlier. Nixon He's not no an place. innocent party. Not an Ancient outlier. Christianity. Yeah, they, these people are showing up thinking they're coming to a religious sermon and he's drugging them. Well, I mean, Nixon I, 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 is at a party. I, I don't want to mislead you. These people may hope that they're going to get drugged, but they aren't, oh. they don't know how it happens. Oh, that's a that's little bit trick. different. Yeah. That's implied consent then. <laughs> it's 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 certainly skirting yeah, well, the line. Yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, we need a, a lawyer. We, do, we need a, we we need need a, a lawyer. lawyer we yeah. can ask questions Legal to. Eagle. An, an ancient Christian lawyer. Much like the drawing of Lot's ritual used by other Gnostics, the person in trance became the leader of the congregation for that day. So you also would pass the cup around and the person that got the Gnostic, the, the hallucinogenic drink would be the one who then became the priest for a day. If you Damn. were in trance. Yeah. Uh, what's it called? They're doing it a little bit wrong. 
the uh, Quakers. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the people playing musical chairs. <laughs> no. <laughs> Isn't it Quaker church where they all sit there until someone yeah, has something someone to say? Is, yep, yep. Well, they should do that, the but silence. with drugs. Oh, no. uh, in any case, this made it possible for men and women to be priests. Nice. Another prominent Gnostic group were the Sethians, also known as the Children of Seth, the Incorruptible Race, the Kingless Race, the Immobiles, the Standers, and the Holy Generation. They had a lot of names. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> the yeah. Sethians spread across a wide geographic area in the ancient world, including Egypt, Armenia, and the Jordan Valley. That's probably how they got all those names. <laughs> Unlike the Valentinians, the Sethians tended to view themselves as the only true Christians regarding those who still worshipped Yahweh as Jews. Mm, the okay. Sethians, yeah, they're, they're setting up the lines there. They believed the universe had been created by a demiurge patterned after the divine pleroma, or world of spiritual entities, but inferior to it. This demiurge then created the world with the help of the Archons, a class of fallen angels with the heads of animals. The reptilians. The Sethians were most closely identified with rewriting the meaning of Genesis. The story, from their perspective, was troubling because God is represented as having human emotions like jealousy, walking around in a garden, and talking to Adam and Eve like a regular guy. <laughs> also, God uses the plural us when he says, let us make man in our image, suggesting God had a crew working with him. The angels, right? In theory. Furthermore, there's an odd moment in Genesis when God calls out for Adam because he's unable to find the first man. It seems really strange that an all-knowing God would have this issue. <laughs> yes. Where are you? Says a non-omniscient being. He was just acting. Oh, it was acting. Yes, God does a lot of acting. Sethian Gnosticism identifies Yahweh as Yaldabaoth, uh, unfortunate son of Sophia. In an effort to retrieve the divine energy her son took from her through his creation, Sophia encourages him to breathe his own breath into Adam, endowing him with Sophia's divinity. Adam is then more beautiful and powerful than Yaldabaoth and his lieutenants, and they resent him for it. Jealous of Adam, they cast him into the prison of physical matter where they distract him with the pleasures of food and sex with Eve. Barbelo, the afterthought of the originating god, then visits Adam in the garden in a variety of ways depending on which Sethian you talk to. In some versions, she inhabits the tree. In others, she enters Adam and then appears as Eve once his rib is extracted and transformed into her. And in others, Barbelo is the serpent. Either as Eve or the serpent, she's the key to extracting Adam from Yahweh's garden and beginning his path to knowledge and freedom. You gotta get out of the garden first and foremost. The Sethians then take their name from Adam and Eve's third child after Cain and Abel, namely Seth, who is never described as worshiping Yahweh in the Bible, and so is theoretically uh, possible as a Gnostic. Maybe he's a Gnostic because he doesn't worship Yahweh. I mean, he probably does worship Yahweh, but we just don't talk about it. As opposed to Cain and Abel, who like make sacrifices to Yahweh. You see okay. what I mean? I guess. <laughs> Bit of a stretch. <laughs> I'm... I Every time Yeldabaoth and all these other things get thrown in, my eyes sort of glaze over. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, that's why I did that first part where we didn't bother with all this madness. Yeah, he really, <laughs> really simple. Like he just said, yeah. nope. Nope, that's not, but, but now I'm doing it. Now I'm doing my homework. The Sethian Gospel of Judas tells a story like this. The Gospel of Judas purports to tell the secret knowledge conveyed by Judas, to Judas, sorry, by Jesus. In this version of events, Jesus credits Judas with sacrificing the human who bears me. So thanks, Judas, for that whole kiss and all. 
the human who bears me? Yeah, like Judas is playing a significant theological role by allowing Jesus to be crucified and relieve himself of the body. Oh. Return to heaven. Oh, okay. Yeah. Judas got to do that first, right? Sure. Sethians were initiated through the five seals, a ritual in which the divine being forethought goes down into Hades to awaken the initiate from sleep, sealing him five times with glowing water to defeat the underworld deities and free the initiate from death. Through the ritual, the body is stripped, uh, stripped that is from the spirit, and the spirit is clothed in light. In some Sethian practices, the initiate had to be rescued from 13 realms and rulers through a series of 22 baptisms. I'll detail them for you briefly. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) That would be mean. With each step, the initiate ascends a spiritual ladder, becoming an angel and then a god capable of encountering the true originating god. So there you can be a god, but not the god. Another major Gnostic uh, group were the Basilidians, founded by Basilides in Alexandria, a site of ancient learning also associated with Valentinus. So I'm really just dancing through my various Gnostic groups here. So you can forget everything I just told you. We'll start fresh with a new one. Oh, no. Done. There you go. Gone. See, Savannah, isn't this easy? No. New one. While there's some confusion over what the Basilidians actually believed, since information of their doctrines comes exclusively through anti-Gnostic tracts, and these tracts differ, they held to a version of the creation story akin to what the Sethians believed, with the Demiurge creating the universe while under the delusion that there were no higher gods. But in Basilides' version of events, the Aldabaoth character known as the Grand Archon received the gospel of the true originating god from his son, who had learned it from the Holy Spirit. The Grand Archon then confessed his sin and passed on news of, higher, of the higher god to his subordinates. So Yaldabaoth is a nicer character in, in this version. He gets the truth and then passes it down. Jesus was enlightened by an Archon to communicate to all of the created world this new truth when everyone has received this enlightenment. And at that point, God shall bless the world with ignorance such that everyone will like who and what they are. And stop being so contentious. They've Could made you us all ignorant? I'm sorry. Yeah, like we, we have to learn and get all this knowledge so that God will eventually relieve us of it all of it. So we can just chill. We could oh. just be just chilling. Because then that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you're you're nailing it. As, as we speak. <laughs> One particular view attributed to the Basilidians, although it was unlikely to have been universal among them, if it was even true, was that Jesus was never crucified. Instead, they say Simon of Cyrene, who, according to three gospel writers, carried the cross for Jesus on the way to crucifixion, was actually substituted for Jesus on the cross when Jesus exchanged forms with him. So Jesus swapped bodies with him. Oh, damn. That's Jesus? a dick move. Was words, that in God's plan? Jesus entered Simon's body, and Simon ended up in Jesus' body, and then was then crucified crucified while Jesus ascended into heaven. What? So Jesus snuck off to heaven. Simon. Did Simon do anything to deserve that? Poor, yeah. Yeah. He did nothing but help, I think. Help nothing carry but... the cross that he was going to be crucified He did on? his goddamn job. He didn't know how heavy that cross would be. <laughs> ben, I don't know if I meant that as a joke. Uh, That's why I didn't laugh. Got dark. I, got yeah, deep okay. for Simon. Wow. Savannah's laughing nervously at the thought I am. that carrying a thing could become being crucified. <laughs> And being she's a scared at any body. moment she's going to switch places with Jesus <laughs> and become crucified just by carrying anything. I think that there are some sects who kind of, I mean, I try to identify with the crucified Christ in that exact way. 
Then there were the groups who associated themselves with the serpent, namely the Nasins and the Ophites. Whether the Ophites were a separate group is up for debate. Hippolytus groups them together and labels them the origin point for all heresies, theoretically starting Gnosticism itself. Origen speaks specifically of the Ophites as a very obscure sect who had to utter curses against Jesus in order to get into the club. The Ophites what? believed, yeah, you had to like curse Jesus and they'd be like, okay, you could be an Ophite now. Oh, yeah. oh, I understand. It's like your okay. s- secret code to get in. I thought you meant like the other Gnostic groups were like, you're not a Gnostic group until you make fun of Jesus. <laughs> well, and I was like, oh, the Ophites. Inner hatred. <laughs> <laughs> the Ophites believed that Christ was a divine being who descended with Sophia into Jesus of Nazareth at his baptism and then left him before the crucifixion, but subsequently raised Jesus up, allowing him to walk the earth for 18 months after he was killed enlightened with a new revelation which is taught to his disciples a new gnostic truth so there's this long stretch after jesus is resurrected where he's teaching this new christianity good for him why not i mean it feels tough to do it done in like whatever 12 hours or whatever the bible actually gives that's not fair even for the son of god 18 months is far more reasonable yeah uh, significantly, Christ and Jesus are separate beings, and Christ never suffers the passion of Jesus. So they will also separate them. These ideas may have prompted Origen's belief that Ophites uttered curses against Jesus insofar as all of this is blasphemous from an Orthodox Catholic perspective. So just believing anything that I said would be a kind of curse against Jesus rather than, like, you know, saying mean stuff about him. The originating god for the Nasins is Adamas, a hermaphroditic primordial serpent living in the moistness of the primordial universe. Uh, that sentence was awful for so many reasons. <laughs> I can't do anything about the moistness of the, the primordial amount of times universe. You said primordial, and then also and added moist, and then there, I think there was a cave in there. There's I don't... a serpent. Yeah, well, you're all right with that, though. It was very wet. The Nazis were pluralists in that they understood gods of religions the world over to actually be referring to their god, Adamas. The ancient religions, more ancient than the Nazis themselves for our purposes, worshipped primal man, but efforts to depict primal man had distorted the god's true image. Primal man as a son, perfect man, who is a microcosm of all that private primal man encompasses. Perfect man was the template for Adam, who was molded from clay by the sun god and the other gods of chaos. Perfect man found Adam so attractive that he dropped his seed into him. Ooh. Entrapping... <laughs> that's what Adam said at the time. Ooh. Entrapping spirit in the material world. <laughs> Entrapping spirit... That's what the seed was, was the spirit getting trapped in the material world, which was foreign to it. They love using that phrase. That's like a... they. This, the seed thing is it, everyone's dropping seeds. Seeds everywhere. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's, I pick think up your it seeds. wasn't just that because I'm, I'm relatively used to that, but Rob going, ooh. That will haunt me. For this reason, the Nasians abstain from heterosexual intercourse, refraining from continuing to imprison spirit and matter by producing children. Nasians pass through three levels of initiation patterned after childhood, youth, and adulthood. The initiate is meant to follow Hermes, identified with Christ harrowing hell, who brings them out of the pits of Hades and into the realm of the eternal. They learnt secret passwords that allowed them to pass from stage to stage. Their body is stripped from their soul and their soul from their spirit, and they must pass through a stargate, the gate of heaven, identified with the planet Venus, through which they might enter the house of God. So a lot of like ceremonial occulty stuff here. You gotta have passwords, you gotta go through all these astrological gates. Sure. 
big fun times for them. Finally, finally, Savannah. Huh? Last one. Oh, Wipe good. your mind again. Let's do it I'm again. I'm like trying to figure out which one identifies with what I know. I'm like sitting here. Probably the Valentinians and the Sethians, somewhere between them, is the I stuff guess. you talk about. The Aldebaoth, the Demiurge, Sophia. And Eve. And, well, the, 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 this hasn't been... Well, anyway. You wanted, okay. Let's do the Manichians. I'm just the, trying to... Yeah, I don't know where... What did I read? <laughs> anyway, keep going. The Manichians are they're not going to be your guys, the Manichians, because they were quasi Christian. They weren't very Christian. Yeah, okay, fuck this. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, they bear some consideration, though, because they probably had the widest and longest lasting influence on the history of religion. Okay, go off. Uh, Augustine was a Manichian, for example, oh. before he converted to Catholicism. Okay, shit. The movement was founded by the Babylonian prophet Mani. Uh, with the explicit goal of bringing together a disparate range of religions under one system, namely Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, and Christianity. So a lot of, like, you know, Jesus, for example, didn't think of himself as starting a religion. He was just editing Judaism. But Mani was like, I'm starting a religion. Mm. Okay. It's a big one. It's it's the big one. <laughs> this is it, guys. <laughs> yeah. And so far as Manichaeanism uh, stretched from Babylon through the Roman Empire and all the way to Central Asia, Mani was reasonably successful in his ambition. He was very likely born to Persian parents in 216, and he taught his new religion starting in 241 and was then crucified by Bahram I around 275. There's your biography. Did he switch with Jesus? Nope. No, no, no. That was 275. It's a long time after Jesus. Oh, man. Yeah. Jesus should have, like, he did it to Simon. He should have taken one for this dude. Money. Yeah. <laughs> Simon should have been there for money. Poor money. I know. Jesus should have been oh. there for money. Mani taught that the primordial existence was dualistic, comprised of light and darkness or good and evil. These forces were not initially at war. Light wanted nothing to do with darkness, and darkness was more or less occupied with its own inner turmoil. <laughs> But darkness is awareness. Very emo of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can all identify. Um, darkness is awareness stretched out from the center of itself to its borders where it discovered light. Whoa. And determined that the external enemy was a better target for its hatred. Tired of fighting with yeah. itself. It was like, look at that guy. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but when darkness made war on light, the god of light, being perfectly benevolent, had no means to make war back on the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> so he created an avatar, Primal Man, who went with his five sons to do battle with the five sons of darkness. Pretty badass. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's kind of fun. That's they were defeated, the sons of light, that is. Primal Man and his sons. And so they offered themselves to be consumed by the sons of darkness. What? Yeah, like, you beat us, you can eat us now. Mm. But this was a ruse. Oh, because whoa. once the sons of darkness consumed them, they became confused, and it turned darkness. Because they have light inside of them yes. now. Yes, and now oh. darkness turns away from fighting light to fighting itself because you now fool. it contains light. You fools! <laughs> <laughs> you fell for the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> Eating your enemy. <laughs> this is the oldest trick. <laughs> Getting someone to eat you. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. It does happen in like some media though, where it's like, oh, their skin is too tough on the outside, so they get eaten and then they kill them from the inside. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's I mean, the Titans. Feels like a great anime. Had, yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, this mixing also caused light to be. It's sort of like the ending of Star Wars, isn't it? The thing blows out from the inside. 
Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. You're talking about the Death Star? Yeah, the Death Star. Yeah. I was like, what the thing? thing? The thing. I feel like a thing. lot of things blow the big up. big meme thing. In Guardians of the Galaxy, in the second one, they did that, except the problem was is like the one guy got himself eaten, but then it was just as tough on the inside, so he was just stuck inside of the monster. <laughs> uh, but this is not good news for light, because mixing also caused light to become subject to darkness, degrading it to sharing in darkness is evil. The mission no. of salvation, therefore, is to separate light from darkness and thereby deal a final defeating blow to evil. If we can just get the light out of the darkness now that it got in there, darkness will be all alone and not be able to fight light, and it's all done. We win. This sounds like Star Wars. A little bit. Star Wars is Manichaean at its core. God, <laughs> God has performed this work in stages. Initially, he sent forth the living spirit who rescued the primal man from darkness, but left a portion of his power behind. The share of his soul, which would become human souls. God then formed the world out of the corpses of the sons of darkness who had captured the light within themselves and then separated what light he could into the stars, sun, and moon. So we're living on a corpse of one of the dark suns. But the archons of darkness, or demons, continued to hold some light within them. So God sent a messenger to retrieve these souls. The messenger was really pretty and unable to show himself and able to show himself as both male and female, prompting the demons of darkness, both male and female, to expel the light within them in lust for the messenger. More seeds, uh, which the emissaries of light then purified, placed aboard their ships, and transported back to the world of light. However... The king of darkness conspired to keep his archons from losing all of their light in this fashion and created material beings out of matter in the two forms of the messenger, male and female, female, thereby entrapping the light in a familiar casing. So the messenger was super sexy, and so darkness was like, I'm going to make guys like you, but out of my stuff. And that was Adam and Eve. The female Eve had a special role to play here. She was made uniquely concupiscent in comparison with Adam so that she might seduce him and make the work of saving the light more difficult through its dispersal among the many increasingly large numbers of human beings. Could you say that one word again? Concupiscent. What does that mean? Augustine loved concupiscence too. Love I've to talk never about heard it. this word before. It's basically horny in this context, oh. in the Manichaean context. It means something else for Augustine, but in this oh. context, yeah, she's just way lusty. Okay. Because she makes babies. Okay. The Catholics have the same idea for most of human history, that women are to blame. Hmm. Yeah, so the, the, the Gnostics were cool with women, but Manichaeanism, which t is a takeoff on Gnosticism, is not as nifty <laughs> when it comes to the ladies. God did not sit idly by during all of this Garden of Eden business, but sent the luminous Jesus, a God with a mission of revelation to humankind, to teach Adam to eat of the tree of knowledge and to stay away from Eve. Jesus was the personification of light mixed with matter, the suffering of the primal man. But Eve was too sexy, and Adam was seduced. <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is what happened. God damn. <laughs> too sexy. Too sexy. <laughs> Buddha, Zoroaster, Jesus, and Mani himself all followed to renew the message of revelation and keep humanity focused on the work of salvation. <sighs> to conclude our survey of Gnosticism, do you want to say anything before I do that about Eve? No, I mean, I just, the, oh, God. <laughs> the story that I remember reading with her was, okay, let me see if I can pull this out of literally the deepest depths of my ass. Um, so, so she 
basically they like made adam like the archons right or something like that and mm -hmm. then adam was like a worm basically and then they were like okay well fuck this dude and they like cast him off basically but then like eve was made and then she was like oh adam you're a worm and you're dumb poor you wake the fuck up become alive and then he like got up and was like you're the mother now because you have arisen me uh, and then like basically was like kind of you know it was like the roles were a little bit reversed it's a but bit then, valentinian yeah this, but sophia they're just calling her sophia rather than eve but it's the same idea that adam is dependent well, on eve her. was a whole different thing yeah 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 and then well and so then it at the archons like came because then there was like that adam of light or whatever which was like a version of adam but he was like better or something and then they came and then they were gonna like they were coming for Eve, I think, because they were all going to basically, basically they all like raped her. It was Ooh. the seed thing. And then, or they were trying to, the and archons. then she turned into the tree, but then she like had a replica of herself. It was a whole thing. Oh, you got a, an interesting lore there. So, but that was yeah. like, yeah, that was, fr that was reading from, I don't know which text it was, but. Well, it's not foreign to these different... Like, it jives a, with a lot right. of what these guys are saying. It's just its own mythology. It makes more sense when you're saying, like, women could be leaders because... Yeah, and the spirit could be the tree, or it could be the serpent, or it could be yeah, the ribbon I mean, atom. It could be any of these yeah. things. But in that case, yeah, then the spirit is... Yeah, Eve. I could have butchered that, but that was... No, that sounds cool. I, it sounds I mean, cool it was around way. that. Is this what I sound like when I'm describing, like, Five Nights at Freddy's lore? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Is that good so or bad? lost. <laughs> okay. To conclude our survey of Gnosticism, I want to lay out a theory explored by Gnosticism scholar April D. DeConnick that the canonical Gospel of John, one of the four in the New Testament, is actually a Gnostic text. John conceives of Jesus as being sent to earth to be a light in a dark cosmos, essentially the Gnostic view of the world we know. Only in John, says DeConnick, does Jesus arrive to teach humanity about an unknown God and rescue them from demonic forces. The case for John is a Gnostic. <coughs> You're wrong, the tube. Wrong I mean, tube. The case for John as a Gnostic hinges in part on the way John 8:44 is translated. In a conversation with the Jews who believe in him, Jesus tells them that they are looking for a way to kill him because they have no room for his word. He says, "You are doing what you heard from your father." But they say, we are Abraham's children, and the only father we have is God himself. Jesus responds, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. You are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. So this is saying there are two different gods. One is the good God, and one is the bad God. So this is a way of reading John as a text mm. that is Gnostic at its core, but that has been disguised. Because this line that I just said, you belong to your father the devil, has been edited so that it no longer reads this way. Well, because isn't one of the texts in the Nag Hammadi or whatever the apoc Apocrypha of John? Of John? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Is that the same Well, this is your John? actual Gospel of John. I mean, it could be the but same John. Okay. Who knows? I right. mean, John doesn't exist in a certain sense, right? John, whoever, the writer of John well, wasn't okay, John. That's a, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So much harping on lies and the truth already feels a bit Gnostic, but Taconic makes a larger point. The Greek original does not say, you belong to your father, the devil, but rather you belong to the father of the devil. Since when does the devil have a father? 
I thought God was his father. The devil's father must be God himself, but Jesus has nothing good to say about this father. And in this context, (laughs) is differentiating the father of the devil from God the father, his God. I don't know. I don't have a lot of good things to say about my father, so. (laughs) Goddamn right, girl. Preach. Those who would kill Jesus have a different father than the true God. Their father is the father of the devil. Is John's father of the devil the Gnostic Yaldabaoth? While the writing John predates many of the Gnostic sects mentioned here, there were Gnostics living and writing at the time of John's gospel, the youngest of the gospels that was completed. Serinthus was an early Gnostic active in the second half of the first century. He believed in the Hebrew god, but taught that the world had been formed by a different god, a demiurge, and like the Ophites, argued that Christ and Jesus were separate. Caius of Rome, leader of a heretical 2nd century sect of Christians, told his followers that the Gospel of John and Revelations were actually written by Serenthus. Whether or not Serenthus was the true author, they were completed between 90 and 100 CE, overlapping his career and conceivably but not irrefutably sharing some of his theology. John could have been a Gnostic, and John is one of the four canonical Gospels. The Gnostics were many things. Magicians, ecstatics, radicals, iconoclasts, heretics, and true believers. Their beliefs were outside a Christian paradigm, but arguably came close enough to Christian doctrine to shape the Gospels themselves. Like the Jesus of the Gospels and the Catholics, they sought to reframe Old Testament texts in light of a new revelation. But they went too far in the eyes of the more orthodox Christians when they reframed the serpent of the Genesis as a divine hero. Many contemporary occultists take inspiration from the Gnostics for the way they proclaimed a secret truth, swam against the mainstream tide, and devised beautiful and complex ceremonies to ascend to higher degrees of knowledge. It will come as no surprise that I personally take issue with many ancient Gnostic thinkers' conception of the human as at war with his own material being, but it's hard not to be inspired by incredible spiritual creativity that went into the Gnostics' metaphysics and cosmology. There's much to learn from the Gnostics about the self and the soul and the quest for understanding, which are often fraught and frequently buried by mainstream culture that ain't so fond of people asking questions and challenging the authorities that be. Finally, perhaps the greatest lesson of the Gnostics is the danger of claiming to have a singular truth. Such a truth risks burying its rival or being buried in a war for social and political supremacy. Final thoughts on the Gnostics. What if the farmer just, like, put it in his garage? The, the text? Like, if we never had them? Yeah, he was just like, eh. Screw it. Or just put it back. In or just dirt. like, hmm. I don't want to fuck with this. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we'd still have Gnostic texts, but less of them. Because yeah. Bla- Bla- Blavatsky was inspired by uh, G.R.S. Mead's translation of the Pistis Sophia. Um, mm. And so her take on Genesis that inverted it is gnostic so we wouldn't be on all on our own but you're right maybe the new age interest in gnosticism wouldn't have happened without those texts yeah 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 he's looking at me like he wants me to say something but i don't it's okay you you can got nothing (laughs) i got nothing (laughs) olivia adjourn this thing i oh jesus okay um, you hereby adjourn. Yep, I know. I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again. Is that you right? You do. That was Olivia Litterall, your grandmaster of the order. Ah! 
Savannah Verrett, sister of the 84th degree. So long. Neil Sigmund's already hit the road. He did our voices today, and I am Dr. Rob C. Thompson, your supreme high robe font.